0: My name is J.W. Ochre. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, at any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen the podcast In this episode, I'm going to take you to two different oddities that are not too far away from me here in southern New Hampshire. One is about an hour and a half to the north and the other is about 2 hours to the south as the civic drives. One is a bit of a dark side oddity, the other more of a light side oddity. But both of these oddities seem like they should be somewhere far away overseas, maybe in Europe, but like the most hidden and obscure corners of Europe, not in places so easily accessible to someone like me. First, I'm going to take you to the cabin of a notorious occultist, and then to a severed body part that has been beatified. So from the depths of the most esoteric and dark to the height of saintly rapture, it's heaven and hell time, and we're not even going to leave New England. I don't know anything about Alistair Crowley's father. But what I imagine him saying to the young boy, whose nickname was Alec, was this. The dark arts are no way to get ahead in life, boy. I also imagine the senior Crowley as an overalls-clad, straw-chewing Midwestern farmer. Although Crowley's parents were actually rich brewery owners in Warwickshire, England. And I don't think they ever said anything like that to him. But Alistair Crowley somehow, somehow managed to make an international name for himself. In occultism, paganism, there probably isn't a word that completely describes his ism. Of course, that name was the wickedest man in the world. But that suited him just fine. He loved being a weirdo. Born in 1875, Crowley took advantage of the silver spoon in his mouth and spent his time mingling among the ranks of secret societies like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, traveling abroad to learn and practice various types of old magic, which he spelled with a CK because it looks cooler that way, and alarming as many people as he could. He was wealthy and bored, liked attention, and liked to be contrarian. He also wrote a lot, both fiction and nonfiction, including Diary of a Drug Fiend, which details some of his debaucheries with drugs, The Magic of Thelema, where he basically outlines a whole new mysticism or religion, and The Book of the Law, in which, among all sorts of gobbledygookery, he articulated the succinct maxim, do what thou wilt. A lot of the things Crowley advocated or performed, or at least proclaimed that he performed, were apparently pretty shocking for his time, Enough, in fact, that he got kicked out of the country of Italy for some of his carryings on at the Abbey of Thelema in Sicily. It often involved copious amounts of drugs and sex to such an extreme degree that he probably would have fit right in here in 2019. In my living room. Anyway, that's the sex and drugs part, now the rock and roll. Crowley's influence permeated beyond the ranks of the singularly occult-minded to intrigue many of the musicians in the genre we now gently know as classic rock. For instance, the legendary Jimmy Page of the legendary Led Zeppelin maintains a collection of Crowley memorabilia and had such an interest in the infamous man known as The Beast that he bought the Bolaskin House, Crowley's former residence on Loch Ness. Today, the Bolaskin House is for sale. You just have to clean up some fire damage that happened a few years ago. So if you want a building that intersects water monsters, famous occultists, and one of the best guitarists of all time, that's the place for you. It also was a featured location in the Led Zeppelin film The Song Remains the Same. But it wasn't just Led Zeppelin. This goes far beyond Led Zeppelin. David Bowie name-dropped Crowley in his song Quicksand. The Beatles included him on the multi-faced cover of the Sgt. Pepper album. The Doors posed with the bust of him on the back cover of their album Doors 13. Not surprisingly, the Rolling Stones are supposed to have an interest in Crowley's work as well. And then there's Ozzy Osbourne's song Mr. Crowley. It's symbolic, of course. At the end of the day, Crowley was a rock star. Sex, drugs, rebellion, all the ingredients of both ancient magic and good old classic rock. Now, I know it's taken me a long time to get here, but Crowley's connection to New England involves a small cottage in the barely larger town of Hebron, New Hampshire, on the tip of Lake Newfound. Between 1913 and 1918, the house was owned by a medium named Evangeline Adams, who was pretty famous in her day as far as astrologers go. She had co-authored a couple of books with Crowley on astrology. In 1916, Crowley stayed at that house for four months as part of his infamous magical retirement in which he did all sorts of secret and arcane things, the likes of which the current property owners are probably better off for not knowing. Or maybe he just chilled and read some paperbacks. Even intense dudes like Crowley have to relax. The original 200-year-old house is still there, right beside, of all things, a church on 14 Church Road, which isn't really a road, but a stretch of ground off North Shore Road right in the middle of Hebron. There are two white buildings on the property, the main house and a second smaller one that Adams actually had built for use as a study. When I got out and walked around, it felt to me like the entire downtown was somebody's front lawn and I was trespassing, except that it was a pretty ghostly town on my visit. Like I mentioned, it's currently a private residence. And although I didn't ask, I'm sure the people that live there could care less about Crowley or anybody that would be interested in him. So it's one of those sites you just kind of see, drive by, marvel that a person like Alistair Crowley once lived there for months doing his thing and then head on to some other place. Now that I've been your Virgil through hell, allow me to be your Beatrice through heaven. Goddamn, I love Catholics. And I say that as an oddity hunter. They're just so weird. They drink blood, eat flesh, hang dead bodies on their walls, and worship mummified body parts. I mean, they sound like who Aleister Crowley wanted to be. And while I like wine and wheat thins with the best of them, it's that latter bit, the mummified body parts, that infatuation with relics that I most dig about those guys. And you don't have to go to Italy for them. I mean, Italy has a lot and it's a good place to go find the body parts of saints, but you can also find them all over the United States. Want to see a good one? Head to the Connecticut side of the Long Island Sound, to the village of Mystic, home to a famous aquarium and a famous pizza joint. Once in Mystic, make your way to Ender's Island. Don't worry, there's a bridge. Now, I've known about the severed arm of St. Edmund for a long while, but I put off chasing it down for years, despite it being, like I said, only two hours from my house and, in my opinion, one of the top oddities in New England. I just thought it would be hard to get to, one of those objects I'd have to call ahead to gain access, only to learn they keep it in a vault and don't consider me journalist enough to pull it out for. That happens to me a lot. But nope, it's easy and uplifting. This dead arm is uplifting. As we drove toward the island, we first crossed onto Mason's Island, where we were stopped at a guard station. It's there because the neighborhoods are lined with expensive houses and yacht clubs, but you just have to know the code phrase to get in and no it's not i'm here to see an ancient dead arm just tell them you're headed to saint edmund's retreat although the guard will probably suspect you're there for the arm saint edmund's retreat was set up by the society of the fathers and brothers of saint edmund a religious order founded in france in the 19th century the patron saint of which was not the 9th century saint edmund the martyr but a chap from the 13th century who was named after that famous saint the edmund at hand, became Archbishop of Canterbury and ended his life self-exiled in France after fighting with Henry III and Pope Gregory the IX. The society dedicated to him left France in the early 20th century due to some similar problems with the government. They then hung out in England for about a century before finally ending up in Connecticut in the early years of this millennium. And the entire time that they jumped from country to country, century to century, they lugged around Edmund's preserved severed arm with them, Hoisted against a shoulder like a rifle in a military parade is the way I'm imagining it. The rest of Edmund's body remained behind in an abbey in France. Today, Edmund's arm is the centerpiece of a retreat dedicated to reflection and soul communion. You can stay overnight on a small island, sign up for group programs, or go for a private retreat. You can also just drop by and walk around the gardens with two fingers held lightly in the air. The island is small enough that you could walk its circumference in minutes, watching waters fresh from the Atlantic wash the rocks. The island is full of apple and pear trees, flowers, and vegetable gardens. It's a beautiful place that almost forces you, at Dovebeak, to ponder the imponderables of life. But I personally like a dead thing in front of me when I do that. St. Edmund's Arm is in the Chapel of Our Lady of Assumption, a small, nondescript, oceanside church That was crowned by seagulls on our visit. We approached the door and I peeked inside, something I couldn't do at Aleister Crowley's place. It was empty, no services, so pretty good timing. We found the arm in a little room at the back of the church. Above it was a carving of St. Edmund himself. In front of it was a prayer bench, which is a really hard phrase to say out loud. Prayer bench, prayer bench, prayer bench, prayer bench. Whatever it was, it was in front of the arm. Below the arm, in a glass case, was a collection of tiny relics, the labels on which weren't legible at all, but I saw lots of obvious bone fragments in the collection. The big bone I was there for was sitting atop the case in a glass tube. Despite calling it the arm of St. Edmund, the arm part wasn't really visible. It was hidden in a two-tone red sleeve. The only part you could see was the hand, which rested on a little pillow, almost like it was holding a mouse at a computer. The hand was dark and shriveled, well-preserved. You could see all five fingers, as they say in the maternity ward, and somewhat unbelievable. Again, you're privately communing with the dead hand of a saint. And that dead hand was completely horror movie prop-worthy. And if you stare at any of these types of relics for long, they are unsettling. I'm still waiting for a movie about a monster made of reanimated saints' parts. However, if you take them in the context of the altar and prayer bench, and chapel. They're as beautiful as they are grisly. This particular arm has been preserved for seven centuries. It represents real history, from the person it was to the people who have protected it afterward. What it has touched and what has touched it. It represents the mystery of faith and belief and the strangeness of humanity. The fact that it has survived all this time is miracle enough, beyond the sainthood of the guy who used to use it to high-five with. Even though it doesn't have eyes, St. Edmund's Arm has almost seen an entire millennium. It deserves its peaceful repose in its sweet little chapel on its idyllic retreat on its cozy island. And it deserves to be visited. All right, that's our episode. Two extremely interesting oddities that if you live in New England, you are within hitting distance of. And I guarantee you, no matter where you are in this country, our oddities just like this or weirder you just have to jump in your car set your gps and go see them as always check out the show notes for this episode i will put in there the links to photos of both alistair crowley's magical retirement cabin and the severed arm of saint edmund also i'll stick in the show notes other things i'm trying to market to you like books so come back next week and i'll tell you another story i'm not sure which oddity it'll be or what state it'll be from but i guarantee you As always, it will be odd. Do me a favor. If you have the time, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Drop me an email. Tell me what you think. In general, let me know that you're out there because podcast stats are really, really bad, apparently. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you on the next episode. This has been Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast.